This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. CanDo is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and Fraser Nelson. Now on Friday, we are talking about the departure of Dominic Raab and we will get to the fallout from uh, the former Deputy Prime Minister resignation and of course his successor. But before we do, it's actually another politician and their potential departure, which is now dominating the news, Diane Abbott. Isabel, can you just fill us in on what happened on Sunday? It was a letter to the Observer written by the former Shadow Home Secretary did not appear on the front of the Observer, but quickly did lead the news. Yeah, it was quite a curious one in that, as as you say, it was not something that was particularly flagged by the Observer themselves. But she was writing a piece objecting to a common piece that had been in the in the Observer um, about racism. And her argument in this letter was that people who were not um, visibly ethnic minorities so people who were Jewish, uh, Irish, travellers and so on, had been subjected to prejudice, but not the kind of racism that black people had been subjected to. And she made the comparison uh, with someone with red hair, saying that they too would have suffered uh, prejudice in a similar way. Now, the letter was obviously incendiary and caused an enormous row particularly within the context of what has been happening in Labour over the past few years, uh, where obviously it was investigated by the Equalities and Human Rights Commission over anti-Semitism and over the way in which the party handled anti-Semitism and didn't take it seriously um, within its organisation. And Diane Abbott being a very close ally still of uh, former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, So she had the whip suspended from her. She very quickly apologised with, again, quite a curious um, apology, saying that she was very sorry. She withdrew everything that she'd said and that it was a a draft version of the article that had been sent in error. Now, normally draft articles that are sent in error have typos or have a sort of phrase that goes the wrong way around rather than the entire sentiment um, being written in error. So not everyone in Labour has accepted that. But the question now, which is really interesting, is will Keir Starmer keep Britain's first black female MP uh, suspended from the Labour Party whip for a very long time, even though she has uh, very quickly apologised? Is it something that is considered, uh, as some people on the Labour front bench have been saying, uh, to be about the the concept that she was arguing uh, rather than her sort of error of, of wording? Or is it a row that he doesn't actually particularly want to prolong? And what we've seen over the past few years is that with Jeremy Corbyn, Keir Starmer is very happy to prolong that row. I was talking to um, one Labour politician recently who said that he felt that Keir, and this is somebody who was very supportive of Keir Starmer, he felt that Keir Starmer was quite enjoying taking Jeremy Corbyn out in public and setting fire to him. And that it was sort of forming a a strategy of uh, trying to answer some of the concerns that voters were still expressing in focus groups. Now, is Diane Abbott that kind of figure? Is that a fight that that Keir Starmer necessarily um, wants to have at this stage? Uh, It would be really interesting to see where he goes. 
Well, Fraser, I think two things from that. So first off, I mean, you're an experienced editor. You've seen a few pieces in your time. Do you think a first draft and a second draft can uh, change as much as Diane Abbott is suggesting they would have done? Well, the embarrassing point for Diane Abbott is that the first draft tends to be what the writer really thinks, and the second draft tends to be what they think they can get away with saying. So her excuse that this was a first draft sent an editor isn't exactly exculpation. And her um, other claim that she, in her words, completely disassociates herself from her own remarks is rather difficult to take seriously. You can disassociate yourself with somebody else's remarks from a colleague's remarks, but not really your own. The big problem for Labour is that what she said is what a lot of people have always suspected that people in the Labour left really think, that they simply do not believe that Jewish people can suffer racism. In fact, the experience of Israel has led them to believe that um, Jewish people are now the bullies, that this is a narrative which you can get in some of the uglier fringes of the of the far left. And when Diet Abbott was saying, effectively, staggeringly, still in my view, that, that Jewish people never suffered um, in the segregation in the American South, they were never banned from voting in South Africa, well, you know, and, and they weren't manacled to slave ships. Well, at one stage, of course, white people were manacled to slave ships. I mean, that's, um, you know, fairly well known amongst those who study history. But you don't have to be a primary school leaver to know what the Jewish people have experienced, not only in the last World War, but in several generations before that. Um, So I think that's why it will be problematic for for Keir Starmer, because this wasn't a comment taken out of context. Sometimes that can happen in politics. You can say something which is given a malign misinterpretation, and it's clear that you really meant something else. No, she decided to send this letter and was motivated to say what she really felt. And what she really felt is a viewpoint which Keir Starmer has gone to a lot of work to try to expel from the Labour Party. That's why she's in as much trouble as she is now. And Fraser, as Isabel says, Keir Starmer has often made a virtue of picking a fight with the left at the party. And you can see here how he could try and do so again by blocking her from standing if she say, if she stays suspended. I had one Labour advisor say to me that they would be stunned if she was allowed to stand again. Um, but do you think that has the potential to backfire? I mean, you've seen quite sympathetic comments. I mean, Pat McFadden, very much not a Corbynite um, today on the morning round. And um, an ally of Rachel Reeves saying, you know, she is a trailblazer, that actually it could be a step too far and cause backlash on the left if he does that. Yeah, and also John McTurnan, um, Blair's former political secretary, has been um, saying that he would accept her apology. So we can see a defence of her from, from basically figures on the Labour right, shall we say. And now you can argue that every coherent political party needs its mavericks. You can also argue that Diane Abbott has been an original um, a, a part, part, a voice, a part of Labour furniture. There's even a portrait of her out, out in the Commons. This is the first black woman to be elected to Parliament. So she is, um, you know, in a, in a way, it would be unfair to erase her or, or block her simply over literally like four stupid sentences written to the observer, which you should have thought better about. But then again, we are dealing with the biggest single vulnerability in the in the Labour Party right now. Keir Starmer has tried to move heaven and earth to show that he is taking this incredibly seriously. Um, and I think he's in a real dilemma now. 
on, on one level, you know, Diane Abbott is not exactly harmful to him. I mean, she was one of the voices who was attacking him when the Rishi Sunak adverts came out recently. You know, the one where um, where they were basically saying that Sunak personally didn't want um, child sexual abusers to go to prison. The attack there came from Labour left figures. Um, and she was one of them. So you could say that, yes, she had already started to become a little bit of a thorn in Keir Starmer's side. So is it best to dispatch that thorn to the um, to outer Siberia? He could do that, but I can see why this is difficult for him, because she is such a historic um, figure in the history of the modern Labour Party. And Isabel, on Friday, we discussed the resignation of Dominic Raab in the immediate aftermath. But since then, there's been some rumblings of discontent on the Tory backbenchers. How is it landing? Yeah, quite a lot of Conservative MPs agreed to a greater or lesser extent with Raab's fears about uh, the bar being set very low by Adam Tolley uh, KC um, for um, criticism of civil servants uh, becoming uh, humiliating or belittling or, or even bullying um, by definition. And it's led to uh, discussion again of whether or not the civil service should be reformed, um, whether there should be a sort of slightly more American style system, which is something that, that's been raised by Francis Maud, now Lord Maud, uh, who was a cabinet office minister in the David Cameron years. And uh, I, I've talked to civil servants about this and their argument is, look, you, you know, you could have a more American style civil service, fine, um, but don't go halfway, which is the the Francis Maud model, but it just won't work. And another point that they've made, not unreasonably, I feel, particularly in the case of uh, the Ministry of Justice, is that if you allow ministers to appoint their own senior civil servants every time they come into a department, you would have so much institutional turmoil with the number of ministers who come wash in and out of the Ministry of Justice. I mean, how many justice secretaries, how many housing secretaries have we had in recent years uh, that you'd actually have a huge institutional loss of memory um, in in these organisations? So perhaps, yes, you'd have to move straight to an American system, but going halfway um, and allowing a minister who's there for what? an average of 18 months to have their own political appointees before they go and someone else comes in is is just unworkable. Fraser, there's clearly some who think that Rishi Sunak should have stood by his man, Dominic Raab, particularly think about how loyal Raab has been to Sunak over the summer leadership contest and since then. And it's striking in uh, the interviews, the many interviews Raab has given over the weekend that he is staying loyal. He, you know, describes Rishi Sunak as the best prime minister he has worked under. Um, this is someone who worked for quite a long time under Boris Johnson. Um, so he's he's not trying to cause trouble. Let's look look at, at his successors. So you have Alex Chalk, um, who is the new Justice Secretary. I had a one senior Tory say to me, another great day to be a posh white man in the Conservative Party of that appointment, uh, given Chalk uh, did attend the same school as Rishi Sunak. We know a little bit about that school in this podcast. And then we also have Oliver Dowden, who is the Deputy Prime Minister, who attended a selective, um, but a uh, who attended a selective state, um, and he is clearly a long-time ally of Rishi Sunak, helped run that summer leadership campaign. Um, so th- there is a little bit of unhappiness that, A, no no women were brought in in this opportunity in terms of those two big roles, and two, that Rishi Sunak doesn't appear to be reaching out. What do you make of those appointments? 
Well, I think given that um, Wikimists, which I think is what these guys from that school call themselves, is that right? That is correct. It always sounds like... Unfortunately, we don't have a Wikimist on this podcast anymore to confirm that, but that is correct, we think. But over the years, uh, I've come to know Wikimists quite well. And one of their gripes is that they're, they're always a bridesmaid, but never the bride, right? They're always sort of one level below the government, but never really in charge. And they're eating, etc. So, you know, if Rishi Sunak's prime minister, you can see, you'll think, okay, it's time for a, a, um, a Wikimist restoration. So I, I think it's not a single old Tony in cabinet these days. I know, it's now a Wiccan supremacy. So if you see politics through that prism, then you can certainly think that the, the, the Winchester School is getting its time in the sun now. The glass ceiling for Wiccanists has been well and truly broken. Um, but I think it's... Um, Oliver Dowden is... Um, you know, the, perhaps it, we're going to be seeing, seeing a lot more of him. He's going to be the guy who's going to be opposite Angela Rayner for Deputy Prime Minister's questions. He's um, been actually a, a far bigger force behind recent politics than has been acknowledged. He was, as so many jobs, he was um, holding the, the, the pen of a at last Tory manifesto. Um, and he was a very loyal Sunakite, and was also on the right side of the debate, I would argue, anyway. When lockdown was going on, um, he and Rishi were doing what they could to try to, to, to limit it. So I'm quite pleased to see Oliver Dowden um, ascend to Deputy Prime Minister. I think that Rishi Sunak didn't have that much choice then to allow Dominic Rabb to resign. I mean, Rabb Rab himself had set the bar incredibly low by saying that if he was accused of bullying, then he would go. He was, so he did. I don't think that either of them had too much leeway on that point. Uh, I do worry that a, a mechanism has now been established for civil servants to depose any um, cabinet member who they think is giving them a hard time. It's funny, when you're reading this and you're not a civil servant, it seems strange how one of the worst things he apparently did was um, to personally rebuke a civil servant who had, who had without authorization, given too much to the Spanish government when it, on the Gibraltar rec- negotiations, uh, when the rebuke apparently is only supposed to come from the head of department. Now, I'm trying to work out how many other organizations could really run on that basis. That was the so-called abuse of power he was guilty of. So I think he was, to me it seems anyway, he was um, you know, guilty more of breaching Whitehall protocol than anything that you would regard as genuine example of beastliness there was no he wasn't throwing any staples he wasn't raising his voice and um, so staplers even not staples that was gordon brown's um um penchant but i think i couldn't see it really ending any other way and at this stage in the game rishi sunak is betting his whole government on competence so he will need whoever he most trusts to do the job and if they just happen to go to winchester so be it And just finally, Fraser, this morning it's been the Business Connect conference. This is Rishi Sunak trying to woo CEOs along with his business secretary, Kemi Baden, off in his chance to the Jeremy Hunt. There's also been a 100 million announced for a task to help the UK build and adopt the next generation of AI. Do you think the Tories are making the right noises to business these days? One of the Rishi Sunak's great problems is he's foisted upon the country the greatest tax burden in 77 years. Now, how do you stop that? By cutting government spending. But yet here he is, suddenly found 100 million quid to spend on AI. As far as I can work out, there's not a lack of independent companies out there developing AI. So this demonstrates a sort of tension in the Sunak government that part of him wants low taxes and lower government spending, but another part of him cannot resist 
splurging on big state enterprises like this. Uh, so I think this will be, if the Conservatives lose the next election, as still looks likely, one of the questions will be why they couldn't stop themselves spending all of this money which they simply don't have. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening. And while we have you here, we're going to plug an event again. Coffee House Shots Live, the Coronation Special. This is Wednesday the 10th. Uh, next month, doors open at 6.30pm at the Emmanuel Centre in London. Um, you can join myself, Fraser Nelson, the Daily Telegraph's Camilla Tomini, as we discuss the historic coronation of King Charles, but also uh, the fallout from the local elections, if there is any, and what to expect from the rest of the year in politics. Um, to get tickets, please go to spectator.co.uk forward slash coronation, and we hope to see you there.